Let me ask you a question. What's the first thing you think of when I say use of power? Use of power. Do you have something that come to mind? How many of it was, had a negative feel to it or association to it? Quite a few hands. It's not surprising. Right? You flip on the news or whatever, it, you have world leaders that are misusing power. Sometimes local government or officials. Sometimes it's a boss. Sometimes it's a parent. Or it's that other parent that you're sitting next to. Right? But something has gone wrong with power because it wasn't always like that. Last week we began our series, Power in Your Hands, by going back to the beginning, the origin of power. And we see God creating. And when he does, there was nothing manipulative, nothing exploitive, nothing destructive. It was just God creating. And when he created, there was a purpose behind it. There was flourishing. And then God goes a step further. And he makes the man and woman, humanity, unlike anything else in creation, he breathes into them and says, you are created in my image. That he implants in us the same creative gene. And he now gives us a mission and a purpose to go make stuff, to be creative, to go and to give meaning to life that reflects and expands my glory, God says. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Sometimes I don't think we quite call ourselves up to just how magnificent we are in God's creation. But, and there's always a but, something has gone wrong. Because you do read the newspaper, or look at the newscast, or look at your own relationships, or work environments, or school environments, and you see power doesn't always work like that. You see, something did go wrong long ago, long ago. And something changed in humanity and power changed with it. And quite simply, here's what happened. Humanity thought they could flourish and find significance and meaning for life apart from God. They became idol makers, pursuing something other than God at the center. And we have only become more and more creative in our own idolatry today. Now it doesn't, when, us, when we think of idols, we don't often think of I don't know. I don't know that we connect with that word. We don't think of idolatry much today because I always picture little wooden figurines or statues or something. Maybe you light a candle that people would bow down and make sacrifices to in a hope that they could find their own flourishing or victory over an enemy or something in life. But it's hard for me to connect with that. But I contend that idolatry is all the more alive and powerful. And it's become so hidden or maybe just so accepted in us in our society, maybe even in our churches, that we don't even flag it anymore. Well, we're going to flag it today. Pastor Tim Keller says these words. He says, Idolatry is when we allow anything other than God to become the center of our heart's true happiness, contentment, meaning, identity, purpose, or security. It's when we allow something else to become an idol or a surrogate God in our life, ruling our thoughts and emotions and behaviors. Idolatry is always the reason we do anything wrong. Whenever we lie, whenever we fail to love, whenever we don't hold our promises, whenever we live selfishly, he says the specific answer is always that there is something besides Jesus Christ that you feel you must have to be happy, 
something that is more important to your heart than God. Listen to this. He says, the secret to change is always to identify the idols of the heart. That's our journey this morning. You see, idols always have two kind of insidious promises that are wrapped in lies. The first is that you will not certainly die. Surely you won't die. You can flourish apart from God. In fact, you might even be able to flourish a little more than having to be weighted down by all that God's saying and asking you to do. You can flourish. There's, you can find significance. You can build it. And then the second lie goes a little further, and it says, in fact, you can even be like God. You can be your own master. You don't need anyone to tell you what to do. Go build the life. Look at how creative you are. Like, you can flourish. You, you can be in charge of your own destiny. You can be independent. And isn't it funny how individualism, over the last couple hundred years, and I just see it keep ramping up speed, plagues our lives and society. Do you remember the first thing that wasn't good in Scripture? I'll help you. It's in Genesis chapter 2. Right after all of this goodness, God says, It's not good for man to be... Huh. The, two, the, the great command that Jesus says, it has two prongs. He said, everything in this book, everything in life, you can sum up in two things. Love God. Keep him at the center. Don't pursue it apart from me. Keep me at the center, God says. And then the second is like it, just as important, love others as you love yourself. Flourishing, this creative mandate to spread God's glory is all about him at the center, and we do it in community together. It's not good to be alone. It only took, interestingly, three chapters for humanity to screw it up. If you read your Bibles, the first two chapters, and most of those are about God. God creates all of this stuff. Man is just right at the end of chapter 1, and chapter 2 just kind of amplifies chapter 1. So really only after a few verses, chapter 3 comes to us, and we kind of screw the whole thing up. And so I want to read what's known as the fall, where humanity takes this step away from God. And I want you to see the pattern that's revealed here. Because if you are brave enough to have one ear towards heaven and one ear towards your own heart, you're going to see this repeated over and over again, not just in the pages of Scripture, but in your own life as well. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. <clears throat> he said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Now what we have here is the whisper of deceit, of a lie, the entertaining, entertaining a, a wayward thought or conversation. The woman said to the servant, ser serpent, we may eat from the fruit of any tree in the garden, but God did say, we must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Interesting. Another step, progression, and entertaining this conversation. You will not certainly die. The serpent said, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. The two lies, huh? When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, she's entertaining it with the sight of life now. And desirable for gaining wisdom. Now it's moving to the heart to desire. Flourishing might be possible without God. She took some and ate it. Another, now the toe is stuck in the water. 
And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. He was with her. He was with her when she screwed up the command that God had even given. She adds to the command, look it up, in terms of what she said God said. Adam didn't faithfully, I think, relay that. And then he could have just kicked that little serpent, whatever it was, out of the way and said, we're not even going to entertain that and talk, to, talk about that. He could have said, e, don't eat that fig. More than likely, not an apple. Right? I'm not going to eat it. What are you doing? Right? All of those opportunities, but Adam goes passive. He fails. Community breaks down in that moment. And he doesn't protect his wife or stand up for God's righteous intent. Then, Scripture says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They began hiding the consequences of idolatry that would only demand more and more and more of them. They are handing over their power. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called out to the man, Where are you? Where are you? You see, they found themselves separated from God, and now they were hiding and even withdrawing from one another, withholding from one another. And the, this great creative purpose as image bearers for flourishing they find themselves powerless and handing it over. And I think when God says, where are you? Where are, I mean, we just, you saw the words, God's omnipotent, all-powerful, all like, do you think he knew where they were? Right, they're right there behind the bush. He knew that. I think that where are you is asking a deeper question. Where are you with me? Where are you in your spirit? What's going on emotionally? What are you clinging on to? Where are you? God asks. And in that moment, there was a decision. But I think the, the slope of sin and idolatry was well down the hill. It's a pretty revealing story, isn't it? And if you think about it, everything from the entertainment of some idea or thought to beginning to see it in life, to desiring it in your heart, to maybe just sticking your toe into the water and going deeper and deeper, you find yourself in a land and a place that you never could have imagined. Tragically, we keep repeating that story, and idolatry, again, remember, is the belief that we can have significance in stuff and meaning of life apart from God. Today, our idols are a little more subtle, sophisticated, sneaky, and maybe more powerful than a little wooden carved figurine that we might sacrifice to. And believe me, idols call us to sacrifice, to give more and more, to keep them powerful and taking more and more left from us. But I want you to hear these words again with one eye tuned to God, almost hearing him call out to you, where are you? As I just share with you three big idols, deep idols that I think are prevalent today. And I'm thankful for the men's fraternity guys that meet on Thursday morning or Thursday evening. We've been studying the last five weeks these idols. And I can tell you, God is moving in that group. Strongholds are being broken. These guys are on a journey, right, to overcome their idols. But here's the first one. The first deep idol is that of control. The idol of control. 
which ironically we find controls us. We tend to use our power, if this is your idol, to establish as much control and certainty as possible. You employ your strength and your effort, your emotional and physical energy to dominate or to control people or circumstances. If this is your idol, you believe that you can gain and maintain mastery over situations, over people, over your performance or your schedule or your income or whatever it is. And then you think, then I'll be okay. Then it'll be good. Then I'll be strong and safe. And the serpent's lie is twisted all around it that says you can be like God. You can be in control of your own little world and maybe take over some other worlds as well. But because people and circumstances and even providence is not ours to control, the backlash we find in this idol is fear or anger or workaholism that we just strive even harder. We give and sacrifice even more to maintain that control and domination. Control. Maybe for you it's the idol of significance. Significance that you expend your power to build and manage an image or to maintain a status that if only people could see how good and great you are, then you would find affirmation and even a sense of worth. For you, you think, if I can just prove to this person or social group or to my boss or to my friends at school or, or to my teachers or to my neighbors, whatever it is, just how virtuous or competent how loving or fun or capable or important or how lovely I am, then, then life would be good. I would feel good. And the serpent's lies twisted all around it. It's that you were made for glory. You need the attention because you are great. So go build it. Go make it happen. And just watch how others praise your name fact is our worth doesn't come from any of the stuff we do our worth comes from god who created us who has given us an amazing mission and purpose who binds us to himself right and says in me if you read your new testament you see so often it's in christ and by christ and through christ and remaining in christ as john 15 says that we bear fruit and have significance it's all because of who we are in god it has nothing to do with what we build in ourselves, our image, our status, or what other people say. Significance. Maybe neither of those apply to you. Maybe both of them do. But the third one, I think, touches all of us in some way because it's the idol of comfort. And the reality is we live in the western suburbs of Chicago, and even the least among us economically are in the top three or maybe one or two percent of the world's wealth. But yeah, we don't often think we're rich. The God of comfort, if this is you, then the Corona commercial with toes in the sand are speaking to you. Luxury car commercials, or maybe it's just that sense of entitlement that you know what you deserve to have whatever it is that you see and think you need. For you, you believe that, um, that if I can just hit my number, Remember the retirement commercial where everyone's like carrying around that one guy's on the bicycle with that big long number stretched out with all of those commas? I'm like, man, I need a number like that. Like that would be pretty sweet. 
you need to work a little harder to get us a number like that, Mr. Wayne. Um, if I could get a, just that number, or if I could escape and just go to that place, or if I could, if I could just, um, um, just get rid of these responsibilities that are just like weighing me down, or if I could just have that next experience, right, or just the next thrill, that, that's all I need. Like then life would be good. And when that doesn't happen, we turn to the quick fixes. We seek the immediate comforts, and it takes many forms, alcohol, drugs, sex, materialism, buying, shopping, getting more, accumulating so that we can just feel that sigh. The problem is you need a little bit more and a little bit more to keep that comfort level up. And so we work to pad our lives and try to secure our lives. And the serpent's lie is wrapped all around it. You know what? You can be like God. You can create your own little paradise according to your terms. But as we know, and Jesus says, what you can expect is some pain and suffering in this world. And in fact, God brings some of his best flourishing out of our suffering. But yet we push it aside. Can you relate to any of these? Do you hear God calling out, where are you? Where are you? Or do you feel the tug of an idol or some lie that's connected to it? Just saying like, well, those are probably some good words, but okay, we'll just think about that one another time. You can feel the resistance building up because it's touching something maybe that's become very core to you. The story of idols doesn't have to be your life, and it doesn't have to be my life. In fact, it's not our story unless... We give our power over to those idols. And I think God calls us to overcome. I think he wants us to experience victory in this part of our life. Because again, why? It's about him at the center and us loving one another. It comes back to those two great commands. But if we're going to get there, and if we're going to return back to this good power to help things flourish, then we've got to do a few things. First, we have to admit the struggle. You have to admit the struggle with this. And confess it. Make it known. Because it's okay to struggle. This stuff is wrapped deep within us. And the fact that you can say, I struggle with it, opens the door for God to begin doing some of his great work in you. Admit it. And the second thing is start identifying the lies that have entangled themselves around your heart. What are the whispers that you have believed for a long time? Look at your attitudes. Look at your behaviors. Look at the things that make you angry or upset Oftentimes, those things will be tied to lies. We have to name them. And then third, you have to replace those lies with God's truth. With his spirit, with his word, you have to replace it. Because if not, something maybe worse will fill that gap. Okay, you can never just leave it. You have to fill it up with something. You know, Lent begins with the story of Jesus in the wilderness 40 days. This has become the church tradition. Matthew chapter 4. And in the wilderness, Jesus is tempted three times. And do you remember how he overcomes temptation each time? What does he do? He quotes scripture. You only do that if you're living a life with God at the center, right? Where his spirit, where his word just comes out of you when those slithers and whispers come your way. And if you want to go back and read it, I think you'll find that Jesus is tempted with comfort and with significance and with control. But yet he says, no. 
There's only one God in my life. The first three commandments of the Ten Commandments are all about keeping God at the center. One, two, three. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, it's important. And then last. Last, you have to invite others onto the journey. Okay, you will not do this. You will not find victory and you will not overcome your idols alone. It's not good for man or woman to be alone. But our instinct is to hide and to try to do it alone. You need partners for this kind of journey, right? That you can maybe just admit the struggle. So we'll just pray and encourage you and build you up. Maybe they'll help you expose some of the lies. Maybe they'll bring the word of God into your life in just the right way that you need to experience that victory, but you have to do it with others. <clears throat> As uh, some of you may know, I was fortunate to play a bit of baseball back in my former life. I played in college and then uh, in the Yankees system for uh, three years. And on some level, it was a very cool experience, right? Some of those big Yankee names from the 90s and 2000, like, those are my peeps, if you will, some of them. And um, it was really cool. Baseball has been a part of my life from the beginning. And I did not know until it all went south that how much baseball had become an idol in my life. Because, see, I was a Christian athlete. I was leading Bible studies on the road. I was mentoring the younger guys like this was for God's glory. But you see, my first word was ball. At two, I hit my first wiffle ball over the house, right? There was a word that was always attached to Eric, and it was baseball. When I would go to work with my dad, he would introduce me to people, and they would say, oh, you're the, you're the baseball player, right? I got success and recognition, and little did I know how much my identity was built on this game of baseball. Little did I know how much it began to control my life and how much significance I was finding through this game. And it was all working pretty well. Life was good. It was sweet, you know, and until some hardship came, until some nagging injuries appeared, until some hitting slumps showed up. And when that happened, things changed. And I became a very different kind of person. And there were three kind of little episodes that I remember that I think just amplify what was going on in the idolatry of my life. Again, all for the name of God. I mean, how was his guy? God, Hall of Fame, that's up to you. I just want to glorify your name through the name of baseball. <laughs> God, I will settle for that $10 million contract if it's good for my family. I do not need $50 million. I'll be content. Right? That was what went on in my mind. Like, I was, isn't that noble? You know? Well, my family comes to visit when it's really reaching the low point, and they love baseball, right? They were at almost every game I played until college and pro ball takes it beyond the Ohio borders. But they love the comments, so they come, and they're excited, and, and then they kind of just leak out this little question. They say, are you okay? I'm like, yeah. They're like, you seem like really angry and intense all the time. Are you sure everything's... I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Like, why would you even say that? And they're like, yeah, exactly, you know. <laughs> And uh, they were just trying to be gentle, right, because they were very supportive of me, but they could see something to change. And then when it seemed like the dream was going to be over, right, when it's like, oh, man, Mr. former Mr. Steinbrenner just signed another multi-million dollar guy that plays my position, right? And we've got more talent coming up the pipeline, and I'm in a hitting slump, and I can't swing the bat right because, like, all of that stuff builds up, and you're like, it might be over. 
and I had a choice. I could just play it out, you know, and maybe say, oh, you know, I had my run, or I could go out in a blaze of glory. So I kid you not, I started praying, and I resolved to the fact that if I could just get one high inside fastball, instead of like backing out of the way, I would just duck right into it and take it right in the face. Because the hope in that... <laughs> doesn't sound too hopeful. I knew it wouldn't kill me, probably, but it would probably end my career. And then I could hold on to the phrase, you never know. You know, he, I think he could have done it. Oh, that's too bad. Like, he, I, he, he, could, he could have been the one. We'll never know. And at least I could have held on to a piece of that dream, okay? And then the third thing, and you'll see how it gets worse, was uh, I am just redlining all the time. I walked around just in, like, fury, because right? was, it was just taking over my life. And I was going home after a game. It was late one night, and a guy cut me off on the road, just changing lanes, and probably didn't even realize it. I probably just had to gently tap my brakes, but I'm like, that's it, last straw. And I follow this guy back to his house. He pulls into the driveway, and I, and I stay across the street, right across from his house, with a box of baseball bats in the back, because baseball players carried bats with them all the time. And my intent was to teach this guy a lesson and anyone else who came out of his house. And he gets out of his car, and thankfully, something handcuffed me. I could not move. And I wouldn't, I didn't hear it just like this then, but I, I could almost now go back and say, God's saying, where are you? You knucklehead. He used stronger language with me back then. That's the church version. <laughs> Where are you? What are you doing? And at that point, something finally broke loose, this idol, or maybe many idols that have been just building up and taking over my life. I, have, I had become powerless. God infused, this is a little bit in me, to say, we can begin a new journey. And I cried in my truck and let that guy go into his house. And that began a journey of casting off these idols and all the scriptures that I knew when I would mentor these other guys I brought into my life in a much deeper way. And it's been a long journey. It's hard to believe. I know you see me as this great teddy bear, you know, today. <laughs> I used to be a little more intense back then. <laughs> Friends, it's time. It's time to return to God. It's time to forsake these idols and these lies that have entwined themselves around our heart, around our sight of life, around the desires of our heart, around the actions and behaviors that we just keep giving more and more to its time. It's time to unleash an explosion of flourishing, of using the power God has given us to build, build up stuff and to provide meaning for life that reflects his glory. It's time. Then, Jesus says, then you will find life, and it will be good, and it will be full. Will you pray with me? <clears throat> Father, we, golly, we just stand in awe of your love and how relentlessly you pursue us and how much you are not just whispering our name, but God, you are shouting, where are you? God, may we come out of hiding. God, may we admit the struggles. May we surface those lies and God, come close. Fill us with your spirit. God, help us to claim your word. And God, as we invite others on this journey, we pray for victory. And God, we pray for the wave 
the wave of flourishing that comes and radiates out of us and through us all for your glory because we're connected to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.